Hello, and welcome to Cannabis for the Rest of Us. You have questions, I have questions, and we're going to explore this community together. I'm your host, Philip Rebentish, Chief Storyteller of Got a Story Media. I'm very excited to welcome our new sponsor, Three Wells, an educational company that is demystifying the new world of marijuana for grown-ups. Find them online at threewells.co. Be well, live well, do well. My guest today is Roger Obando, a co-founder of Baker Technologies, the leading customer relationship management software platform for the cannabis industry, servicing more than 1,000 dispensaries across the U.S. and Canada. The cannabis business centers around community and personal relationships. Roger has over 20 years of experience in tech, and I wanted to speak with him about using CRM technology to create lasting relationships between dispensaries and their customers. The first episode of this podcast, the title was Don't Fear the Dispensary. What should consumers know that they don't know about how a dispensary operates? Well, I think one of the most interesting things uh, to discuss as far as that topic is concerned is this impression that the general public has about how much money dispensaries are making. I think there's this um, idea, you know, and uh, we've discussed the term the green rush, right? And there's this idea that all you have to do is get into a dispensary and, and you know, get it up and running and you're going to be printing money. And the reality is, is that due to the fact that this is still a federally illegal industry, um, these dispensaries have to deal with a lot more hurdles than any other sort of retail um, business. Uh, 280E uh, tax code, which uh, specifies that any business dealing with federally illegal substances cannot claim anything other than cost of goods sold uh, on their tax on their taxes as expenses. Uh, has a huge impact on the success of these businesses. Um, you know, you take into account that everything from the talent to the interior design to, um, you know, any sort of advertising budget that a dispensary uh, has to deal with, that comes off the top line. I mean, that is not, that is not expensable. That is not, that is not something you can claim as an expense on your taxes. I had no idea. Absolutely. And it's something that is, is, in every legal market, because exactly. it's a federal, you can, you can write off your advertising expenses on your federal return. Exactly, and the cannabis industry cannot, you cannot do that. So, you know, people do have uh, concerns about the cost of goods that they're buying in dispensaries. And I think people will automatically assume that it's greed that's driving that, that it's uh, opportunism that's driving that. But the reality of it is, with large operations there come a lot of costs, which these companies cannot write off on their taxes. And everyone assumes that they're just printing money. Everyone assumes they're printing money. Absolutely. And don't get me wrong. There are some very, very successful dispensaries. And um, it depends. A lot depends on operations, right? Uh, a perfect example. Um, in the California market specifically, um, a lot of people have varying opinions on MedMen. No. <laughs> you know. And, hey, uh, I just went to my first one the other day, the the uh, location in, in uh, near LAX. Okay. Because I hadn't been, and I wanted to try out that customer experience. Absolutely. And it is. You know, people refer to it as the Apple Store of, of, of cannabis. Exactly. And it truly is. And, you know, they are very high. They're very highly staffed. There's, you know, 
Um, always someone there to help the consumers. Uh, you can see the amount of expense that they've put into um, their displays and the technology. Um, you know, again, referring back to what we just talked about with 280E, like that comes at a very high expense because that is not a cost that can be written off. Um, but also with uh, a lot of what's happening in the space now from a financial perspective, uh, as far as roll-ups happening and people going public on the stock exchange, there's been um, you know, a lot of back and forth, again, uh, especially here in Southern California, for people who've been in the market for a very long time, in the gray slash black market, um, because you know, it's almost as if they are holding a grudge against MedMen because they're good business people. You know, I mean, they take advantage of, the, of scale, That's of the scale that they have. You know, they uh, eliminate redundancies. They are able to spread their costs across all of their stores. Um, they actually operate as a large business. And, and enterprise level. Enterprise level. Exactly right. And they're not the only ones. I mean, they just come to mind because we're here in L.A. and um, they have a very large presence here. Um, and they started here. And they started here. Right. And I think, interestingly enough, when you look at where they started, you know, I do believe, and don't don't quote me on this, even though I am being recorded, uh, but I believe they came from advertising. I believe that the executives at MedMen saw an opportunity. Um, I don't recall the name of the agency. I want to say it was MadMen, but I'm not I'm not sure on that one. But they came, they were advertising executives, right? And they came from a world where they understood how important image is, how important brand is, you know, how that really drives your consumers into the store. And they've been successful. I mean, they have arguably the most successful and largest ad campaigns. Uh, you know, they're going national with it. They're, um, they understand the value of a loss leader. They opened up a store on Fifth Avenue in New York, and you know, way before you could even, they even had a license to sell. You know, they can sell THC medicated. Everything there is CBD. But to be able to say that they had the first store on Fifth Avenue in New York, that in itself is is provides a huge value to the brand. Um, so you know, I I tip my hat to them, and and I understand that they they're they're going after something much larger, and they're being very smart about it. And I think. That shift that's happening now in the industry is hard for people who have been operating at a small scale to appreciate. Um, but it's the it's the reality of our industry. Like these big deals, these big roll ups, mm-hmm. enterprise level things. That's where this is all going. So let's talk about who your clients are at Baker Technologies. If someone knew nothing about Baker Technologies, let tell them what does Baker Technology provide to a dispensary. Sure. Um, you know, I've, I've had to give this explanation many, many times, and I always try to tailor it to my audience. Um, seeing as how my audience right now is everybody, I'll, I'll take it from the top. Uh, so we, uh, when asked who we are, the one-liner is we are the industry-leading CRM in the cannabis industry. Um, for people who don't play the acronym game as often as we do, CRM stands <laughs> for uh, Customer Relationship Management. Uh, it's a tool set that people who come from traditional retail, non-cannabis industry, are very familiar with. Uh, Salesforce, for example, is probably is arguably the world's most successful CRM. It's um, the Google. It is, yes. Of, Salesforce is uh, the Google. Sales relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Right. right? And it's, it's all about relationship management now. Whereas Salesforce uh, focuses on providing the tools necessary for, um, for example, a sales team. My sales team. We use Salesforce to track the relationships you have with um, 
potential clients, right? How many touch points have there been? Uh, who's talked to them? Take notes. Read up on the relationship so that every time you're communicating with them, you have uh, all the pertinent information right. to know where that relationship a is. A reference point. Absolutely. Or points, actually. Plural. Right. Um, we, we, from from that perspective, don't really provide that level of depth from a sales point of view, but we provide you with information about your custom, your customers as a retailer. So whether you're a uh, medical dispensary or you're a cannabis adult use retailer, um, we provide several different tools that allow you to engage and retain your customers. So, you know, I'll give a, a short synopsis about how we got here. So we set out to solve a very specific problem in the early days. Um, we want, we came to Colorado, we saw that there was a large problem with the imbalance of supply and demand. There was a, a dearth of supply and incredible amounts of demand. Everyone, I, I think around 2014, everyone saw the photos of the lines wrapped around the block in Colorado for people trying to get into a dispensary. I remember that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we came in, did a little market research. And came to understand that much like any other vice industry, the uh, majority of the revenue, uh, 80% of the revenue, was being driven by 20% of the consumers. Um, and this was the habitual user. And you see this in every other, you know, they call vice markets, which is uh, casinos, uh, liquor, uh, tobacco, same sort of things. A small segment of the market makes up the lion's share of the revenue. And these people were being forced to wait in line behind tourists who were going to smell 14 jars of bud to walk out buying a gram, right? And this guy's waiting in line trying to buy his ounce that he comes in and buys every week and a half, and he's being underserved. He's being treated exactly the same as everyone else who's coming to that store. So we said, hey, we can provide a solution to that. We can provide an online reservation system, online ordering, in quotes, reservation system, knowing that in Colorado you couldn't do delivery so the consumer would have to come into the store, which allowed us to not have to be a part of the transaction, which was actually key in the early days because we wanted to make sure that we stayed out of the crosshairs of the federal government. I mean, to this day, that's something that's very important to us. Is Absolutely. To, to of, course, sure, of course it is. Yeah. Any, anyone in the business. Yeah. Make sure that you are a good actor. Make sure that you are not breaking any laws or not even coming close to breaking any laws. Um, so we built a system uh, modeled loosely after Grubhub, which is a food ordering delivery system. Sure. Same thing in that they provide all the resources necessary for you to be able to do online ordering, right? But much like Grubhub, when the Chinese food guy shows up, you pay him directly, right? So we did the same thing with Baker. And that got us a foothold in the industry, providing this online ordering to what was then very forward-looking customers, if you think about it. Because... To this day, you still see people who don't see the value in online ordering. And um, we can talk about that a little bit more later. But so we got yeah, it's actually home. it's actually one of my follow up questions. Yeah. So because I, I do want to explore that a little bit. Absolutely. Um, you know, if there's one thing I've learned doing uh, technology consulting services work for the last 20 years, it's that uh, if you set out to create the be all end all solution to a customer's problems, you're going to get it wrong. You're, you're not going to get it right. So the best thing that you can do is solve a very specific problem, gain the trust of the consumer, 
then have conversations with them about what else are they having troubles with. So what came after online ordering, once we got our foot in the door and we started talking to our customers, uh, was going to be an overabundance of dispensaries who weren't ready for that downturn in uh, customers. So we realized that the solution to that would be um, a loyalty program. Said, hey, because what we saw happening, especially in the Colorado market, which is where we focused for the first few years, it was a wonderful Petri dish to create, you know, a tool set like what we have now because it was a relatively small population. You know, the population of Colorado is 5.5 million people. It's really not that large. Right. Um, and we realized that, hey, we already have a presence on the, on the devices for, you know, for our customer base. What if we were to roll out a digital loyalty program? Just to say, if you order through our system and if you order from the same dispensaries, you start accruing points, which will then be translated into um, benefits, whether it's a discount or it's a free product, which you can do in Colorado, um, which is another interesting thing. Different markets have different restrictions about what you can do. Can you give something away? Can you not? Do you have to charge costs? For example, I think in Oregon it is, you cannot sell or give anything away for less than the cost of goods. So less than what you paid for it. Um, in other markets, you can't give it away, but you can put the price anywhere you want it. So the penny joint was a very popular uh, <laughs> loyalty reward for, uh, for a lot of our consumers. Uh, customers, rather. Sorry. So we did that. That was successful. People really it resonated with people. We realized that we were missing out on... Um, a lot of the customer base for these dispensaries. Anyone who either didn't really trust placing orders via their phones or people who were not as technologically savvy to where they didn't didn't feel comfortable doing it from their phone. So we rolled out um, an in-store version of our loyalty program, which was tablet-based, like a Belly or a Five Stars. or Okay, any, got yeah. it. Sure, like a coffee shop. Exactly. Right? I'm everyone, well, not everyone, but people are very accustomed to using that type of interface, that touch point where it's, that's not scary. Why do you need this information? Exactly right. And we always were very conscientious about what we were asking for. And so uh, from day one, we always used um, mobile phone number as your unique identifier because people have been um, educated at the coffee shops, at the donut shops to sign into their belly or their five-star program using their cell phone number. Um, so we did the same thing. And again, very successful. Um, customers really uh, enjoyed getting the points, getting some free things. Um, well, who doesn't? Exactly. I mean, who doesn't like, who doesn't like free? And then the dispensary started to be able to see, you know, what this meant for the bottom line. Um, you know, at the same time, when we, well, just to roll this back a little bit, when we first started developing the product, um, we had a decision to make. We could try to fight the battle with Apple to do a native app. To say, hey, we are an ancillary business. We are not actually selling product. We are providing a you know reservation system. We we could have tried to fight that fight with Apple. Decided it was not going to be a good battle. You know, it was not wasn't something we wanted to fight. There was a couple other cannabis-based companies that had been successful in that. But you know, getting to understand what that process looked like, we realized that we didn't want to expand those resources on that. Uh, we had way too much else we wanted to do. So we built a mobile web app. Um, you know, I mean. Again, like I mentioned before, I've been doing technology development work for the last 20 years. And so either way, it could have worked as far as I've, I've done native apps, I've done mobile web apps, and we decided to do that. So, you know, this, the very small decision, the reason I bring this up is the very small decision that we made in the beginning 
to do it that way ended up being one of the best decisions we could make because had we done native uh, development, we would have been able to communicate with our customers via push notification. Everyone's very used to that. If you have your apps, you know, they want to know, they want to communicate with you, you get a push notification. Because of the fact that we didn't do native, we had no choice but to build a two-way communication system based on SMS, which was one of the main uh, deciding factors in using a mobile phone number as your identifier, saying, hey, if you're going to place an order, we're not going to ask you for a ton of information. We just need your phone number so we can notify you when your product is ready for picking up. Everyone was very comfortable with that decision. Everyone would understood it resonates like yes that's fine right um well it's not out of the ordinary no it's not it's not out of the ordinary at all and um you know we were also at the time um very much trying to get our name out there so we were leveraging the fact that we had everyone's phone numbers we had in our terms and services uh an agreement that said you know you're okay with us sending you information occasionally about our tools and services uh all that sort of stuff so we started using those phone numbers to do a little bit of marketing direct to consumer on our own. As we grew and grew and grew, um, it became obvious that we needed to be behind the scenes. That the Baker brand had, at the, at the beginning, it's kind of a catch-22 because at the beginning, you need to get customers. In order to get, in order to get right, you have to get customers. In order to get customers, we needed to have consumers on our platform. Because without consumers, why would the customer sign up for our platform, right? So it was kind of this give and take of we need to get both at the same time. But once we got to a critical mass of customers, they started to actually very much dislike the fact that they were listed on a marketplace next to their competitors, right? If people were coming onto the Baker marketplace to purchase something from a specific dispensary that said, hey, we're on Baker, please uh, you know, do your online ordering there. Then they were able to back up to the top level and see their, you know, their their neighbor who was two blocks away. Understandably, they were unhappy with that situation. Sure, that makes complete sense yeah. from a, a business perspective. Absolutely. So at that point, we made the decision that we no longer were going to be pushing Baker as a name as a tool set. We had enough market penetration at that point to where we didn't really have to keep pushing who we were and what we do. So we did a complete 180, stopped marketing for ourselves, but realized that this marketing that we had been doing for ourselves was something we could offer as a service to our customers, saying, we know who your customers are, we know what they're ordering online, we know what's in their shopping cart, we know how often they visit, we know what they spend. So we took all of that information and created uh, a targeted marketing tool set that allowed you to segment your audience and send them communication via either phone or email. And that was really a, a light bulb aha moment where that that product truly resonated with our customers. They were able to all of a sudden say, oh, I have, you know, through the Baker platform, I've had 10,000 people sign up. I have 10,000 phone numbers. And historically, they would work with uh, another text provider and just blast the entire list, right? What we call the spray and pray method, right? So you... you would send out a deal about concentrates. But, you know, uh, likely most of that list has never bought a concentrate or an extract, whatever you want to call it, uh, at any point in their lives. And as a matter of fact, a lot of people are very intimidated by that sort of level of, of, of concentrate products. And that was a recipe for churn. Like the minute you send that enough times, it, it starts to feel spammy. I was just going to say, that's spam. Yeah, it's not relevant to, my, to me. I don't care about that. I am going to reply stop. And that is a customer you will never see again. Once that customer replies stop to that SMS marketing, you're very unlikely to get that customer back. 
So the level of segmentation we were able to provide to say only send these messages, these messages to customers who have bought flour, who have been in in the last 90 days or who have not been in in the last 90 days. Um, that sort of segmentation was really a key feature. Um, you know, and along with that, all of a sudden people realize, oh, I have access to my customers. I want to see more information about my customers. So we built customer centers where you can go in and see uh, historical information. When was the last time they visited? What did they buy the last time they placed an online order? Um, and so that's what, how we ended up at CRM because it really is, you know, it's a customer relationship management system, but tailored specifically for the cannabis industry. Because a lot of people will ask me, well, what makes you different than Salesforce? First answer is, well, have you ever seen Salesforce? You know, right. <laughs> Those right. of us who have used Salesforce understand that it's an 800-pound gorilla. I mean, it's, this is a system that requires extensive training experience for you to actually know what you're doing and to be very effective in the system. With Baker, we tried to approach it from the exact opposite point of view, where we tried to make it as simple as possible. A lot of people who were in the cannabis industry in the early days they didn't come from traditional retail. They didn't come from these huge companies that had access to these very sophisticated CRMs. It wasn't a part of their core skill set. And like, you don't think about it, but what other product do you know anywhere is sold in eighths, halves, quarters, <laughs> right? It just of ounces, right? Of, of ounces, it just doesn't exist. Right. It's a, yes, yeah. I'd like an ounce of whole milk, please. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, like building out that, you know, the infrastructure to support all of that was was something that also very much differentiates differentiates us from the rest of the market. So, I'm curious. We're talking enterprise level software here, right? You have Absolutely. a lot, a lot of customers. Within that, does it allow customization for each dispensary? Are there tools in there to differentiate, differentiate themselves from their competitors? Yes, absolutely. It was something where very early on we realized that we needed to allow for dispensaries to upload and like, customize this to resonate with their brand. Right? They need to be able to upload their logos. They need to be able to set their color schemes you know they need to be able to upload imagery of their products is it something that's very specific to what what they offer compared to what someone else offers some of our some of our customers spend a lot of time and resources on creating impeccable imagery of their products that's good yeah and others well, in my opinion i know that's good i completely agree but others are perfectly fine using kind of off-the-shelf brand imagery and we provide them with the opportunity to make it as good as they want it to be but at the same time, you know, we don't force them into it. Um, and, and that's something that's that's really quite interesting because when you think about the inventory at most dispensaries, um, it's the turnover on, on inventory is very, very rapid. You see, you know, the strain offering, for example, is something that changes regularly on a weekly, sometimes daily basis. They run out of one thing, they get a new batch of something else, they have to continue to uplist that. So there's a lot of upkeep that comes uh, along with obtaining, uh, maintaining that inventory. So to provide them with tools to do that uh, was something that was very important for us. Also, early on, I had a conversation about pricing, right? Pricing is one of those things that as a startup, as a software offering, it's, you know, you kind of have to you know, pull it out of a hat. Right. What, what are we really worth? Right. What are we We know worth? it's valuable, yeah. but how do you put a specific number right. on that value? Exactly. Like, how do you put it? How do you, you know, you can't underprice yourself because then, you know, uh, psychologically, if you underprice yourself, people will make the assumption that it's a low value tool. You can't overprice the product because then you have a hard time selling it. You so have you, no customers. Exactly. So you have to figure out where that sweet spot is. And then on top of that, based on this 
product differentiation that we kept doing and we kept adding new features, you know, the conversation of do we charge per feature and then upsell as it becomes necessary or do we just sell the whole thing, you know, as a, as a monthly subscription? And we ended up at the second, at the latter. Uh, and I'll, I'll never forget my CEO, Joel, you know, one of the favorite uh, um, ways he likes to put it is that when you rent a, when you go to a hotel and stay at a hotel, you don't get a discount if you didn't use the pool. Right. So like, the, <laughs> right. So I, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we put that in our minds. We're like, okay, well that's our, that's our guiding light. We, we offer the entire offering to everybody. Um, and then depending on who you are, like the other thing that we came to understand is that if we just drop all this functionality on somebody's lap and then turn around and walk away, the chances of them being successful with it are pretty low. Um, there's a lot of education that needs to happen. One of the best decisions, in, in my opinion, that we've made is to invest heavily in a customer success team. So when you sign up with Baker, you get assigned a customer success representative, and that person is your rep. You do not get thrown into a pool of reps. You have a direct number. You can reach out to them at any time, um, and they get you started. You start with onboarding, and we try to get people to you know wade into the waters a little easily at first. So let's say, okay, let's get you set up with a check-in tablet. Let's start getting some people to check in at the, at the counter, start building your list of phone numbers so that we get to a point where oh, well, let's start doing some texting. Let's see how that drives people back into the store. And then once they start seeing the value from that, we will then, you know, especially if this is a smaller location that might be a mom and pop shop, Mm -hmm. we start, you know, discussing the value of online ordering, of saying, you know, what's your website look like? Let's get a menu placed on your website. Let's allow people to do some ordering from your site. Um, And all along the way, the customer success representative is there to hold their hand, to explain to them best practices, Right, because at this point, four and a half years in, not only have we gotten a pretty good idea of how to onboard people, what the pace is, how to start them off, but also we have a lot of insights about what specific types of messaging works, for example. You know, we've seen enough messages being sent out the day before a Broncos game to know that if you send out a message with some sports-related emoji the day before a football game in your market, you will see an uptick in sales, right? So to have a customer success team that's able to um, give this information to the consumer and then openly, you know, just try to guide them through what the best practices are, um, it allows for the consumer to see a return on investment that much faster. So what I'm hearing is you value relationships, Absolutely. With your customers. Oh, Because yeah. I think this is a relationship-driven business. Oh, absolutely is. I mean, at the end of the day, we are subscription-based. It's not just, I sold you software and... You know, see you later. See you later, right? Like, <laughs> right. This is software as a service, which means that, you know, after whatever your contract is, whether it's a three-month, a six-month, a 12-month, a four-year contract, at the end of that contract, you can just stop paying me, right? And you can turn around and walk away. So it's it's... It behooves me to make sure that your experience is as good as possible and that you continue to see added value um, in everything that you're doing with the Baker platform. Thank you so much. This has been really educational. And I don't think people really understand how complex it can be. Absolutely. I mean, I think there is really still a, um, a perception in the, in the marketplace that people are just still selling weed. And really, it's it's, it's not that, <laughs> right? right? It's, <laughs> no, no, not anymore. Not anymore. It's, it's a different game now, and and I'm just so happy that uh, that we've been able to be a part of it, and you know, be um, one of the successful stories in this space, and to be able to you know elevate 
the conversation. You know, elevate the conversation from um, people talking about selling and buying weed to people talking about enterprise resource planning for the cannabis industry. Those are very different conversations. It's a very different conversation. Roger, thank you so much. Now, where can people find you online? Um, people can find us at trybaker.com. So that's T R Y baker.com um you can find me just about everywhere instagram roger ovando you can find me on linkedin um you can find me speaking at conferences uh chances are if you're in an industry you will run into me at some point excellent thank you so much philip it's been a pleasure thank you for listening to cannabis for the rest of us please subscribe and help us grow check out our show notes for more information about this podcast got a story media and our sponsor three wells you can find us at gotastory.com That's G-O-T-T-A-S-T-O-R-Y dot com.